0: Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. I'm Pastor Josh. I'm so glad to share the next few minutes with you today. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say that we are learning how to live as God's people by reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. And here we are today on the edge of the new year. I hope that this new year is a good one for you. I hope the last year was a good one for you. Well, Today, I want to talk about tenacious faith, and I want to begin by talking about some tenacious swimming. First, a story about someone else. Alison Jane Streeter was born in 1964, and she's a British long-distance swimmer. She has swum across the English Channel 43 times. Let's take that in for a moment. Forty-three times. More than anyone in the world, and earning her the title of Queen of the English Channel. Channel Swim... um, The Channel Swim is 21 miles at its shortest distance, but can easily get extended if you miss the closest point off the coast of France. This total includes a triple channel swim. She also completed seven channel crossings in one year. Holy cow, that's a lot, right? And she set the female record for channel swim from France to England in eight hours and 48 minutes in 1988. She was also the first woman to swim the channel three ways nonstop in 1990, taking a total of 34 hours and 40 minutes for that feat. Oh my, that is tenacious. Well, I was never much of a swimmer, much less now than I was in high school, and I've always been comfortable in a place in the pool where I can put my feet on the bottom. I like to swim, but I like to be able to stand up and stop for a while, too. That just seems kind of smart to me. When I was 16 years old, I was attending my fifth year of summer camp with my Boy Scout troop, and the camp had an award called Pipestone, and it could be earned each year for five years, and so I was in my last year looking forward to finishing out the camp award. The requirements of that award got a little stricter each year. It involved service projects, serving in leadership, merit badges, uh, naturalist requirements for identify plants and animals and rocks and constellations in the sky, and there was also a swimming requirement. The swimming requirement was not a big deal, but the older you got, the more difficult it became. I can't remember how far you had to swim. It was either eight or ten lengths of the swimming dock, and the dock was very large. I will add that. Um, This particular Boy Scout camp, they had a big dock, not a pool, a dock on the lake. It was sort of sectioned off a portion of the lake to be like a swimming pool. In fact, it's a double dock, so it's, it's like, two swimming pools in length, but it's actually uh, three sections on each side, so it's like having six swimming pools, so it's quite large. It can hold hundreds of boys at a time. What bothered me is that for the fifth year of the camp award, you had to jump in at the deepest part of the dock system. In hindsight, I should have just asked, how deep is the water here? Because my mind was racing with possibilities you know, the first one was, well, it won't be that bad. I'll just jump in and slowly and steadily make my swim. But then number two, I just, I had no idea how deep this was. It could be what, this is kind of far under the lake. What if it's 20 feet, 25 feet deep? Then my group's turn came and the instructor got the, the instructor got the sense that I was nervous. And so I guess they thought this was a good idea, keep me close to the instructor, but they put me at the end of the dock system, so I could swim along its whole length, because there's a, again, this is like a rectangle out in the lake, so it was kind of like being alongside a pool wall, I could reach out and grab it at any time I wanted, but this also put me at the absolute deepest part of the whole swimming area, (laughs) I didn't like that, so time to swim, the instructor blew the whistle, and in I jumped. Now, I do not jump into pools with any sort of grace or really purpose for getting swimming distance. I just, what I did was more like a disorganized cannonball. And the swimming requirement for the reward didn't have to be pretty. It was just distance. Show that you can do this. And so into the water I went, and down I went. And as I thought about it going into the water, down I went some more, and down I went further. It felt like forever. I'm sure it was just a few seconds, but it felt like all I could do was go down into the water. And finally, after an eternity, I started to float up. It felt very deep. I still have no idea how deep the water was, but in my mind, 20 feet could have been shallow compared to what I was experiencing at that moment. Who knows how deep it really was. Once I finally came back up and reached the surface, I heard the instructor call out to me, Hey, are you okay? Kind of looked up at him and said, y- Yeah. And I began my slow, plodding swim. The instructor yelled back down to me, I was getting worried about you that you weren't going to come back up from the bottom. And so the instructor decided to walk along the dock for my entire swim. I kind of thought that was a little embarrassing. It was the jump in and the depth that had me worried. Once I was in the water, the distance didn't bother me. Well, the instructor spent the first six laps that I made in that pool, that lake dock area he spent those first six laps reminded me that if I didn't think I could finish I could come back later and try again and all I could think of was I'm not starting over I'm not jumping into this lake again after lap six he kind of figured I was already over halfway and he encouraged me to finish my swim was not graceful it was slow It was a little scary, but I didn't give up. I kept at it. I had moments when I wanted to quit, especially with that instructor saying, hey, you can come back later and work on it. I kind of thought, well, maybe he's right. Would have been so bad to stop and catch my breath, but I wanted that camp award, and this was my least favorite, favorite requirement, and getting it done was a major relief and made the rest of my week at camp much more fun. Well, today we have a passage from the Gospel of Luke. It doesn't involve swimming. It's Jesus telling a parable about farming. And ultimately in the parable, we find out that we are the fields. We're the types of soil that are getting planted. And the seed that's being planted is God's Word. And the field is not perfect. Some of it's hard. Some of it's rocky. Some filled with weeds. These represent challenges that keep the Word from taking root in you and me. And Jesus is telling us that some soils are more receptive than others. And I would propose to you that each one of us at different times in our lives are more or less receptive to the Word of God. The bottom line is this, healthy growth in your life, healthy spiritual growth, healthy growth of any kind depends upon you tenaciously hanging on to God's Word no matter what. Don't give up. Don't let go. Jesus wants us to tenaciously hang on to God's Word kind of like that swimming challenge. Don't stop. Just keep keep swimming. Get it done. Stopping means starting over, and I don't want to do that, and you don't want to do that. Let's go ahead and read the text. It's in the Gospel of Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on the rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. And it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. He asked his disciples what this parable meant. Or his disciples asked him what this parable meant. That's how it should read. And he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables so that those seeing they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. And those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil who com- then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time, in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. They do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. In Luke's Gospel, we reach. We have now reached a point where the crowds have really begun to follow Jesus. The crowds are just coming from everywhere. He's traveling from town to town, teaching and healing. His cluster of followers is growing. We find out that whenever a cluster of people gather, Jesus speaks in a parable or in story form. And this is because story is the way we're wired to think, to understand and remember, but also something curious happens when Jesus uses parables or stories. On the one hand, his teaching becomes, Becomes more vivid and more memorable, but on the other hand, it must be interpreted. Jesus wanted people to be deliberate about how they engaged and followed him. He wanted people to spend time digesting his teaching instead of instantly pulling from it ideas they could use without truly changing their lives. Parables, we find, separate the casual listener from the sincere seeker. And so we get a parable. There's a farmer that went out to his field. He was going to go plant seed or sow seed, as the text says. I want you to picture a farm field in Palestine. It's okay if you've never been there. I haven't been there either, but there's pictures you can look up. But Picture a desert field. It's hot. It's dry. The land has been plowed. There are pathways through the field that are packed hard, dividing the field into rows. The farmer has a sack around his shoulder, and he takes seed. It's, it's a, sort of like a sling around his shoulder. And takes seed into his hand, and he shakes that seed out. The seed is caught in the wind and blows every which way around the field. It lands on the hard path. It lands on the poor soil. It lands on the weedy soil. Perhaps the weeds have not even started to grow yet. The seed also lands on good soil. After this, the farmer would plow the field again to get the seed under the ground. Lots of seed was lost in the process, but the harvest was still good and plentiful. We are the soils. So let's take a look at the four soils in this story and find out what Jesus has to say about those four soils. Let's take a look at the hard path first. This is a path that is dry and hard and cracked earth. The seed bounces around on its surface but never actually gets in. There's no water. There's no place for a root. And it's completely exposed to the enemy who can snatch it right up. Think of a bird flying in the air or the enemy we know, Satan. Receptivity is clearly an issue on this hard, cracked earth. The path represents a shut mind, a shut heart. I think this can be both a person that's closed to God Or a person who's closing off God from their lives. I think we can make ourselves into a hard path and keep God out. Have you ever had a moment when you're angry with someone and you sort of make yourself into a shell, you ignore them, you disregard everything they say? I think we can do this with God. And that's especially true if we are dealing with sin, or if we're refusing to deal with sin, because sin can harden the heart. And when we are hardened, the enemy is able to steal the word before you take it in. This is doubly true if you have no plan on how to keep the Word of God in your life. And with a new year, maybe you're thinking about getting into the Word of God, reading the Bible. So, I'd encourage you to have a plan. A plan doesn't have to be complicated. Being part of a church, that's part of a plan of getting the Word into your life. Having an, an accountability partner, someone who can ask how you're doing, it's part of a plan. Listening to good teaching is part of a plan. And regularly reading the Bible and praying is part of a plan. It doesn't have to be complicated complicated. But you need one, a plan to get the word into your life. Second soil is the rocky ground. This soil isn't just rock filled, like lots of rocks, which is a common feature in the desert. But in a given field in Palestine, you'll find an area where there it looks good on the surface, but the reality is, is there's a thin skin of dirt over top of a limestone shelf. It's too shallow for a good root to grow. The soil there does not have enough nutrients in it or it's not deep enough to hold any moisture to really sustain life. So seeds fall there. They do spring up quickly. They start to grow and then they die off because there's no real depth for sustaining the life of the plant. And a person who's like the rocky ground might accept Jesus but then never goes deeper. It's acceptance without thinking. It's acceptance without follow-up. They want the benefit of God's blessing, but fail to cultivate a relationship with God. I like how Eugene Peterson describes this sort of dirt, this rocky ground. He says, these are people who hear with enthusiasm and little else. Excitement can cause you to take important steps in faith, but excitement by itself cannot sustain you in the long run. The emotions that come with faith and following Jesus, they are precious, so don't disregard emotions. They're wonderful. But the shallow heart is attracted to joy and excitement and unwilling to do the hard work of the disciple. Let's talk about the weeds for a moment. A summer after my freshman year at Malone College, I worked on the grounds crew, and my least favorite job was weeding. It was an endless task. It seemed like no matter how much an area would be weeded in a few weeks, a few days even, we'd have to go back and pull weeds again. Part of the problem was there were about 10 student workers to weed, plant, water, mow, and do a whole range of other physical tasks like move furniture for the entire campus. It was just too much garden, too much land to work for too few people. And so the most visible gardens, they got the most attention, and there were a few places on campus that were completely out of sight, and they were only tended to once a summer or there was one area that was attended to maybe every other year. These were not fun to go weed and clean up. These places would always be just choked with weeds and vines and monster plants over our heads. They would often take several days for all of us, all ten of us, to clean up. Only to be slowly overgrown again until the next year or couple of years later. (sighs) Weeding isn't fun. In Jesus' parable the thorny soil looks clean, it runs deep, it can sustain life, but time reveals the unresolved problem of weeds. These problems sit below the surface and reveal themselves with time. So what are the weeds in your life? It can be undealt with an undealt with past, it can be undealt with sin. Or simply just having a busy life or other priorities that choke out your relationship with Jesus. We all have weeds. We all have past. We all have sins we're ashamed of, addictions that we struggle with. Maybe you have a toxic person in your life who either brings out the worst in you or discourages you. Maybe it's a job. It's a home environment. Weeds are things in us and things around us that rob you of God. Now, here's something I've learned about weeds, so I want to be careful. Weeds are problem plants that get in the way. That's how we define a weed. It's a problem plant that gets in the way. It wasn't planned on. It's not part of the design of the garden. Unchecked, it will destroy the garden and will destroy God's design for you. So here's the thing. What is a weed for you might not be a weed for your neighbor. Adults dislike a yard full of dandelions, but children love them. As a boy scout, I learned how to identify wildflowers and common field flowers of Ohio. And I think they're very beautiful, but they would easily overtake a gardener's planned out landscape. Stinging nettles. <laughs> that is a miserable plant. I hate walking through the woods and running into stinging nettles. But our Nepali brother and sisters love them as an edible delicacy. Don't assume what's a weed for you is also the same for everyone else. Just be willing to lend a hand to help someone pull weeds, because no one likes to pull weeds alone, at least not when the task is a big one. Lastly, there's good soil, and uh, it's it's great soil that's described. It's soft enough to let seed in. It's deep enough for a root to grow and cared for enough that the weeds don't choke the growth of the plant. So how does one become good soil? Well, we listen, we keep, and we act on God's word. We let the Holy Spirit cultivate us. We hang on to the word no matter what. And here's a good truth. Wherever there's good ground, there's abundant harvest. But that's also a reminder. Fruit, harvest, is never a matter of overnight exercise. Time, like it reveals weeds, also reveals fruits. Too often we want things faster and faster. This parable only commends the ground that holds the word with patience. And that's a good warning for us. Spiritual maturity takes time. Of the many things we control, time is not one of them, and we can change what we do as time passes, but we can't speed up or slow down time. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with this teaching on these soils? What's the big deal about this parable? Why is it important? Doesn't seem all that hard to understand. What kind of dirt are you, right? That's the question, huh? But Jesus is telling us a story about very normal farming practices in Palestine. Did you hear that? This is normal. And with normal farming practices, there is lost seed and fruitful harvest. And it is worth it to the farmer to sow the seed in all types of soil because he wants to get the seed into all the good soil. Even with all the waste, there's still abundant harvest. The farmer knows that some of his seed will be rejected. Christian, if you are fearful about someone rejecting your attempt to share the good news of Jesus with, with them, this text promises that some will reject. In fact, it tells you that three out of four soils will not receive the word. But the text does tell us to spread the seed everywhere. It also tells us a good harvest will come in time. You just have to be patient. Now, in the past, I've always read this parable and posed the question which type of dirt am I? Am I hard path? Am I rocky ground? Am I weedy soil? Am I good dirt? And that's not the right question because we are all each type of dirt. We all have the potential to be the hard path, the rocky soil, the weedy soil, and the good soil. We have the potential to be each of these every day. In a moment, you can get overwhelmed by a task and decide to hunker down on it and block out everything else from your mind and you become the hard path. In a moment, you can decide that you are too tired to really dig into a particular word of the Lord and become rocky soil. In a moment, you can decide to mix God's word or his seed with seemingly other worthwhile seeds and have your life overgrown with obligations and ambitions. In a moment, in a heartbeat, you can truly make room for God's word to flourish in your life. We can be each of these soils in a moment. Good and bad. The key to this parable is in what I've always thought was the most uncomfortable part of the parable. Verses 8 through 10 contains that section with he who has an ear who has ears let him hear and talks about the meaning being hidden from the crowd and I've always wondered what's Jesus saying cuz It's not fun to hear about the crowd not understanding. He's saying you need to be a disciple, not just part of the crowd. And what is the difference between the crowd and a disciple? What's the difference? The crowd can follow without comment. A crowd can follow without commitment. A a crowd can follow without risk. The crowd enjoys spectacle. And the crowd's not individual, it's not personal, and it's not all that involved. But a disciple decides to say yes to Jesus and submit to him every day. A disciple lets Jesus be the gardener over his or her life. Remember, Jesus calls us the dirt in this parable. He does not call us the gardener. Jesus is the gardener. You and I can't change the kinds of dirt we are. We can only recognize that we have a problem and invite the gardener in. Got a problem with pride? Give Jesus permission to transform you. Got a problem with priorities? Give Jesus permission to do some weeding. Got a problem with bitterness? Give Jesus permission to turn the soil. It'll hurt, but it'll result in health. And healthy growth in your life depends upon you tenaciously hanging on to God's word. The seed is cast to you. Now you hang on to it as Jesus' disciple. He wants tenacious followers, people who will grip tightly onto his word. The New Year's right around the corner. Perhaps you're seeing everything in your life and the things you want to change or the goals you want to achieve. And what about you tenaciously hanging on to Jesus, hanging on to God's word and letting it grow in your life? When you're willing to cling to God's word, your life grows in incredibly healthy ways. Will you hang on to him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help me, help all of us to try, to not just try to fix ourselves, but instead help us to be receptive to Jesus. Help us to receive his lordship over our lives and help us to receive his forgiveness and salvation. Lord, help us to receive it well when Jesus points out rocks and, and weeds and hardened soil that needs reworked in our lives give us the strength and the will to let Jesus transform us and to hang on to him diligently. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go with Jesus.